Hello, thanks for tuning in. This is Dan. Welcome to the Spaceship Earth podcast. Uh, this is episode seven of my experimental mini series uh, called Reflections from the Great Pause. And this is uh, where I've asked a range of friends and uh, previous guests and other folks uh, to send me through some audio recordings of their own experience uh, of um, living through this pandemic lockdown. And it's pretty simple. I asked them five questions. If you hadn't listened to any of the previous episodes, the questions were, uh, where are you and who are you with? Uh, what are you struggling with the most during these times? Have you started doing, discovered, always done something that's bringing you joy in these times? What are you hoping might emerge from these times? And what bits of getting back to normal do you hope will not return? Uh, and that's it. And they've been coming in from all over the place. Um, and they've been uh, real joys to listen to. And I'll be getting lots of feedback from people who are uh, enjoying uh, these offerings and stories from all over the place. So I'm really, really pleased. So it's been a little bit of a, a, a great pause between episode six and this one because um, I've been, you know, uh, sort of juggling with um, lots of stuff. Um, homeschooling, work, you know, all the all the all the craziness of what's going on. So uh, apologies if you were getting into the flow and you've been waiting for another one. But here it is. So I want to kick off uh, this one with an offering from um, a, a quite an incredible human called Deepak Ramola. Now, I met Deepak in uh, Mumbai in India about I think it was about three years ago. I was doing some work with uh, an incredible organization called Girl Effect, uh, which took me to do uh, a bunch of co-creation work in uh, India, in Mumbai, and on Jakarta, and then on to Lagos in Nigeria, exploring kind of gender inequality and the, and how do you change, how might creativity and culture sort of shift and challenge the stories of uh, um, of gender norms for, for girls and women. Um, and uh, we spent a couple of, uh, well, about a week in Mumbai, and brought together all kinds of fascinating change makers and activists and uh, creative beings from India for a couple of days in Mumbai. And Deepak was one of those. Um, now, he started a project which you, I recommend everyone check out. It's called Project Fuel, which stands for Forward the Understanding of Every Life Lesson. And it's a pretty fascinating organisation. Effectively... He is a very curious guy, Deepak. He's fascinated by life lessons and that everyone has a learning, uh, something that life has taught them. And so he's built this platform which basically encourages the collection and surfacing from life lessons from people all over the world. And then he takes these lessons and turns them into interactive and kind of performance activities to pass the learnings on to others. And this happens through workshops and seminars and all kinds of experience it's absolutely brilliant um so yeah i was really um i just sent deepak uh, a mail just saying how are you doing how is it where you are in india would you be up for forwarding something and um uh he's just sent something through so let's kick off with an offering from deepak ramola enjoy hi my name is deepak ramola and I am 
based right now in the north of India in a city called Dehradun. It's closer to the mountains. And I am staying here with my mother at home uh, during the lockdown. My father is in the army, so he has uh, moved residentially to the academy where he's stationed. My sister is married and she's with her in-laws, so I'm at home with my mother. Question number two. What are you struggling with the most during these times of coronavirus? I think it happens to be a phase in human history which is very unprecedented, uh, especially for our generation and also in terms of the struggle to be able to find a cure to a disease that is spreading so fast. One of the things that I initially had difficulty you know, dealing with was the uncertainty which is when will this get over, how long will this take, does staying at home and working seems to be now the new normal and uh, you know the huge part of our life which included travel, which included you know moving around, being in communities, uh, would that sort of disappear for the distant future? So this uncertainty is something that I found myself grappling with going through the graph of sane days and lazy days because we are people of productive action. So to be stationed in one place at one desk and churning out inspirational material day in and day out as a writer, I felt was limiting. But then slowly the struggle became the gift because I could mull over uh, the travels I had already done, the people I had already met. And in that reflection, in that introspection, I found a much stronger capability to be able to deal with the uncertainty. Question number three. Have you started doing, <coughs> discovered, always done something that is bringing you joy in these times? Mm, that's an interesting question. I think... I have always loved to be able to read and I have taken this time to ensure that I am able to read much more. You know, I used to do that while I was in travel or I was juggling between projects or as a research thing. But just as a sheer pleasure, now I have been able to follow that consistently. And that has been very, very cathartic in many ways because... In, in many ways, our hobbies become sort of part of our work and become dependent on a project that we are doing or the time we have in hand. But to have this sort of a long pause allows you to pick those things up again and make it not sort of a work deliverable, a to-do list, but something that's, you know, pleasure-centric, that is enjoyable. And so I have truly, during this time, picked up books that I had probably parked for a vacation and thought that I would probably deal and dive into them later. I have been able to do that and because of that reading there is this uh, sense of poise, there is this sense of stillness that comes with the act of reading that I have been able to enjoy a lot more than I probably would have while reading it in an airplane between naps or uh, while being on a journey somewhere. Question number four, what are you hoping could emerge from these extraordinary times? I have been an educator for almost 
you know, over a decade, 11 years. And I have been documenting human wisdom uh, as part of my work for all these years. And last year I was in Belgium, uh, in the city Antwerp, and I was interviewing a theatre artist who I asked, what is your life lesson? What would you say is the greatest piece of advice you can offer to humanity? And he looked at me and he said, stop at the red light. And on the surface, that life lesson somehow seems very uh, frivolous, seems very, very surfacial. But when I probed him further and dug deeper, I thought it was remarkably a uh, true wisdom piece for coping with a crisis like the coronavirus and the COVID-19 situation. Stopping at a red light, he said, his name was Johan Petit, and he said, stopping at a red light without feeling anxious to get somewhere means that you left home in time, means that you are not rushing to be somewhere, means that you can see the world, you know, be in this race. And as a, as a teenager growing up, he would just jump signals, you know, the moment it was turning orange, and the moment it was turning green, he would just leap forward and cross the signal. But he said that as he grew up, he realized that the smallest act of stopping at a red light without an unnerving feeling to skip it was a great meditational activity because it allowed you to accept an unexpected pause, uh, allowed you to embrace unexpected time that you were given suddenly uh, without your control. And you had a choice to enjoy it because you cannot really do much in those 60 seconds at a traffic light. But what you do make a decision to do with it reveals a great deal about your personality. So I think what could emerge from these extraordinary times is for us to feel less anxious about stillness that comes our way without our control, almost unexpectedly yet in abundance to teach us that running is not the only thing that will bring us sanity. It is also pausing and reflecting and sort of taking a deep breath voluntarily that could contribute to our mental health today. Question number five. What bits of getting back to normal do you hope will not return? I think there is this Uh, there is this chase factor that we all kind of deal with. uh, And by chase, I mean this productivity syndrome. I certainly suffered from it a huge deal where you have this urge to make every day count, every moment count by doing something that was extraordinary or you are in the social media age with the information flood and all you want to do is trump the last memory you lived. I think... This sort of quietness, this sort of the affair of living 24 hours bound in your own house, in your room, without extraordinary travel, without marvelous feats of, uh, you know, adventures has taught a great deal to many of us that just simply breathing and being and picking up things that give you peace or pleasure is not that bad. That too could be a productive uh, way of living. So I think getting back to normal for me, uh, I hope, is devoid of this productivity syndrome culture that we all have been bred into and this 
grace that we are convinced about. I do certainly believe that it is in our DNA to go back to the dynamic of running and being in competition and being in greed. I think that's so ingrained in human, uh, you know, sentimentality and human behavior that it is going to be an incredible uh, thing if it changes completely, which I hope it does. But being also practical, I think even if it does not, what I do hope that people are able to take back when they go back to their normal, what they have created, is, a, is an awareness of the stillness that they have lived through now. As Maya Angelou, the great African-American author, would have said, when you know better, you do better. And now people know better about being better. So I think that is something that I'm really, really hopeful and really, really excited about. The last thing that you've said is anything you want to share with others right now, a project, a poem, a song, book, action words, story, whatever you like. Wow. Um, I think I, I, I could read a poem that I uh, recently read and I loved and probably would be of value to people. The poem is by... Uh, Liesl Mueller, who was a Pulitzer Prize author, and the poem is called Things. What happened is we grew lonely, living among the things, so we gave the clock a face, the chair a back, the table four stout legs, which will never suffer fatigue. We fitted our shoes with tongues as smooth as our own, and hung tongues inside bells so we could listen to their emotional language. And because we loved graceful profiles, the pitcher received a lip, the bottle a long slender neck. Even what was beyond us was recast in our image. We gave the country a heart, the storm an eye, the cave a mouth, so we could pass into safety. So we could pass into safety. Thank you, Deepak. So one of the things that's been going on in uh, my house uh, is a new project that's, uh, that's about to hatch into the world, um, which is uh, my wonderful wife Seema's project, which is uh, she's been building a beehive and... Um, uh, word on the street is the bees are on their way. So yeah, so she um, bought herself a uh, this a hive called a flow hive, which uh, is quite an ingenious um, sort of innovation in the bee world, which was a, a hive that um, uh, helped uh, more people look after bees um, without disturbing them. So it has a sort of ingenious system that sort of taps honey out the back so you don't need to... Uh, disturb the hive and um she backed them on kickstarter about f nearly five years ago got the hive and it just sat in boxes in the attic i don't think she was able to bring herself to sort of challenge herself to actually um look after bees and she went on a beekeeping course and it's they've sort of sat there anyway something happened during the lockdown and uh she um uh, bought the hive out a few weeks ago and started um, putting it together and now it's all together and it's got a place in the garden and it's ready to go and then she's been uh, joining up to local beekeepers association and getting her head around that and then um, 
just this uh, day, was it the other day, um, she got a message on her phone, which I was going to play because it's just brilliant because it's now sort of like um, it's, it's on the verge of happening. Bees will be arriving into our uh, into our home quite soon. Um, so let me play you this little message that was left on her voicemail by um, uh, the local uh, beekeeping Don. Um, yeah. Received yesterday at 7.58pm. Oh, hi, Seema. It's Pete Davis, my beekeepers. Um, you're next on the swarm list, and they are coming in thick and fast. Um, I'm just making sure that you've got frames in your landstock hive. Could you let me know, please? Thanks very much. Bye. So I think it's fair to say that uh, Seema now uh, being next on the swarm list is experiencing a uh, a mix of uh, apprehension, fear and excitement. So um, I'll keep you updated on the bee situation. Um, so my next offering is from Gina Rembe. Now, uh, I met Gina actually at the Do Lectures, I think it was 2009. Uh, where she was volunteering and helping um, part of the amazing teams that that uh, make the Do Lectures happen. Um, and connected with Gina and uh, stayed in touch. She moved to London. She got quite involved in our early days of Good For Nothing. And she has gone on to do um, all kinds of super interesting work in the field of social change and social innovation. Now, she has moved back to her native she's a native new zealander um and she's part of the amazing inspiral crew out doing amazing things out uh in new zealand and also their sort of technologies and ideas which are spreading around the world and helping more of us um yeah co-create the futures really from the bottom up from communities and networks um so yeah gina check her out you can check her out gina rembe and uh she is um a brilliant mind, uh, a real doer, and uh, was excited to get um, some offerings from Gina in New Zealand. So this is Gina Rembe. Kia ora, Dan. Uh, Gina here. I am uh, getting involved in this from Wellington, New Zealand, Aotearoa, and uh, I am on day 25 of lockdown slash isolation um, with my partner and my two and a half year old daughter, as well as uh, being about 38 weeks pregnant. Um, and up until a couple of weeks ago, we tried to both work from home and look after a toddler full time. Uh, so recently have adjusted by winding up my work. Um, and luckily that meaning that only Lewis has to work at this point um, which really makes it much easier in terms of trying to do, you know, three full-time jobs in amongst two people. Uh, there's there's quite little that we've started doing that we weren't doing before. We're definitely um, eating every meal at home for very obvious reasons, which luckily isn't much of a struggle for us because we always cook a lot and don't rely very much on um, takeout or similar, so it hasn't left a gaping hole in our daily routine. 
Um, I think the biggest joy that I've been finding is um, spending a lot of time with our daughter and seeing her change every day and um, having time together as a whanau, as a family, for all the meal times of the day. That's definitely been really special um, and very nice and practically impossible when the three of us were often in different places for for the for the those meal times. Um in terms of what I'm hoping that can emerge from these extraordinary times as as you said it, um I think uh and this also goes into your other question of what bits of getting back to normal do I hope won't return. I've I've been thinking a lot about this and uh basically come have come to the conclusion that the normal that so many people experienced wasn't serving many people at all. It seems to largely have been in the interest of billionaires and large corporations that that system of late-stage capitalism um, was being held up. And I think we can see it in ways where... um, People like Jeff Bezos from Amazon has added 24 billion US dollars to his fortune just in the time of the pandemic, because everyone is relying on Amazon um, as a as a means of delivery in the states, primarily at this point. And at the same time, um, people having set up crowdfund initiatives for Amazon employees affected by the pandemic. So, how how does it really work that someone can add so much fortune to their own pocket? but not looking after the workers who are essentially delivering the very core of the business on a daily basis and at the very risky places where, you know, social distancing won't be a thing because the aisles of packing those orders will be too small or, you know, people are being pushed to the limits anyway in terms of hours, shifts, efficiency and similar. So, um, yeah, it seems to be in their interest. And when I say their, you know, I guess I see them as like, the billionaires and the large corporations who, in whose interest it is because they've been re- relying on the exploitation of the common worker, whether it's the gig economy or, um, you know, people who kind of, yeah, keep the home fire burning, so to speak. So um, I'm really interested in working out what that looks like and was really struck recently when someone said, um, you know, how do we start treating something like Amazon as a public infrastructure and how, you know, how might we actually convert that if if that's what we're relying it to be, how do we regulate it or at least make them pay taxes in a way that's reflective of that and then exists for the greater good um, of people in society. So, yeah, I've just been thinking about this question quite a lot over the last few weeks and um, the for-profit nature of so much of what we've been relying on when it comes to our healthcare system um, is quite scary and obviously that varies hugely in different parts of the world um, and you know yes it's it's amazing that the NHS workers are being applauded for their work and you know they're obviously people holding down the you know the most risky and life-saving and life-threatening places and spaces at the moment but uh, even reading the sentiment from some of them and saying, well, you know, it's nice that you applaud us, but instead could you make sure to never ever vote for a party that uh, doesn't value the contribution that the health, that the NHS is making to the country and instead vote for a more socialist uh, leaning, at least government, or similar to the states where 
um, medical staff are having the salaries cut as selective surgeries are being postponed in the for-profit nature of those practices and uh, as, as they're kind of waiting for the surges of further patients rolling in and, um, yeah, how, how embarrassing really that those people are having to take pay cuts and still remain in their jobs doing, doing what it is that they're doing. And I think essentially we can look at any angle of people who were disadvantaged in society before, whether that's people from our ethnic minorities and indigenous communities who are being hit harder and die at a higher level from the virus to um, women taking on more, even more housework and caring work, let alone being often the lesser paid employees um, in places like, you know, um, early childhood education, teaching, nursing, caring for the elderly and now often also being at home um, and taking on more of a role of propping up the household too. So, um, yeah, there's just so much going on for people who this really isn't working for. One of the standout stats that I was struck by is how the fashion industry um, is getting, you know, rent holidays in some of the most commercial settings like you know, around the world from Oxford Street and further afield. And at the same time, they are putting pauses on the orders that they've placed in places like Bangladesh to the value of multiple hundreds of millions in the, by the likes of Primark, um, leaving those people in, in further shambles. And, you know, it's the people who, who earn hardly a handful of dollars a day and now taking the work away from them will surely just exacerbate um, not only the immediate impact of what's going on, but also the the longer tail of what's happening. And, um, yeah, I think people, it sounds like people are trading, um, you know, health for economic benefit. And uh, I am really curious in how we st- stop separating the one from the other how um, an economic recovery is done alongside, you know, better well-being and better conditions and, um, yeah, better lives for for the many people as opposed to just the few. And one of the more hopeful pieces that I've come across that's making me feel better about a world that might be to come is um, with so many people relying for government benefits at the moment Um, I think in New Zealand it's about 25% I think it's 1.4 million people in New Zealand who are currently receiving some form of government benefit um, whether it's a wage subsidy or similar Uh, that there's no shame in asking for help because so many people are needing to ask for extra support as opposed to the shame and guilt that our more uh, regular beneficiaries and discrimination um, are facing so how do we how do we carry that no shame and asking for help forward and f- collectively face it um, more kindly I guess is my is my question in all of this um, and yeah I'm really hopeful because there's nothing else that remains I think in making sure that we come out of this with um, you know new models being adopted and um, yeah, people being looked after, and I am both 
looking forward to and hesitant in seeing what economic disobedience can come out of this um, from rent strikes by the common people who haven't been given the mortgage holidays because they're just the renters as opposed to the, the owners of those um, flats or buildings um, or similar. So, yeah, I think um, just just seeing what what we can do, and I really liked um, Eric Holthouse wrote an article for The Correspondent saying we have to urgently prevent social and economic collapse and build a new world at the same time. And I think for me that's that's probably the crux of it. And if we can wipe out some of the billionaires at the same time, I think that will be, be ideal. I think someone recently said something like, well, you know, how about once you get to your billion, we just name a dog park after you and say that you've won capitalism and everything else, you know, all the money that goes um, beyond a billion gets to be put into a collective pot. And I think that's the kind of um, vibe that I'm aiming for uh, in all of this. And the quote that I come back to and have in the past, and it feels particularly pertinent at the moment, is um, Arundhati Roy's quote, uh, another world is not only possible, she is on her way. On a quiet day, I can hear her breathing. And the reason that really um, resonates with me at the moment is because we live in the middle of the city and it's so quiet because there's a lack of traffic, there's a lack of shouting, there's a lack lack of collective activity to the point where we can hear the native birds um, that have been repopulating the city already, but you can just hear them so much more because the the level of noise uh, in the city is so much lower. So I really don't think it's the cities that are noisy, but it's the traffic um, inherently that make it loud or seem loud. So um, yeah, there's been something really beautiful about the the silence and I acknowledge that this is probably very different in, in Wellington and New Zealand. Um, where the lockdown came hard and early as opposed to, you know, numerous sirens um, going up and down the street and other places. So, yeah, much love to you um, and um, speak soon. Thank you, Gina. So I think we're into week six or is it seven of lockdown in the UK? I'm not quite sure anymore. Time just seems to... um, morph things just morph into one thing and to the other and uh, it's all a sort of sort of blurry flowy thing um anyway i hope you've been picking up stuff through these podcasts you've been listening i've been thinking a lot about um what's happening and trying to make sense of what could come through all of this and you know there's a lot of uh, uh debate heating up as uh, we're sort of um hearing noises of you know firing up engines on economies and all that things um and it feels like yeah there's all kinds of uh of of uh, different opinion over what people are wanting to happen um but i wrote a very long post on medium um about some of the things i've been exploring and working with over the uh, last few months and what have really sort of surfaced for me during these weeks and listening to these podcasts and seeing what's happening in the world so if you're interested uh, it's a very long post it's about a 20 minute read and it's called roads to regeneration and uh, yeah and i linked some of these casts as well if you're interested have a read um okay so the last offering uh, of this episode 
is from Amisha Gadiali. Now, if you don't know Amisha, um, but you kind of like your podcast, you need to check out her podcast, The Future is Beautiful. I've been listening to Amisha's podcasts for, well, I think pretty much since she started doing them. Uh, They're right up there for me as, as some of the most brilliant podcasts around. They're deep, open, vulnerable, inquiring. She has extraordinarily fascinating guests who are really um, practicing right on the edges of what could be. Uh, And she's exploring really this question of how do we create more beauty in our lives and in the world. Um, She says her podcast explores the weave between politics, spirituality, sustainability and creativity. Um, But I think they are... Yeah, just for me, they've been podcasts that have just continuously um, stopped me in my tracks. There's a sort of podcast where I'm running because I run a lot and I get off into the trails and I load myself up with some uh, some podcasts. And uh, Amisha's podcasts have always been one that I will uh, load up and run to because they're long um, conversations. But it's the one podcast where often I'll be running and I'll literally stop and because of something that's being uh, a conversation that's happening and I'll have to make a note of it um, of, of what's going on and I do that a lot actually with lots of podcasts but I think Amisha's podcasts are probably the ones that stop me the most um, just because of the extraordinary stuff that she's exploring with her guests so um, yeah I was really really um, um, yeah, really, really pleased that Misha offered something up to this to this little series. Um, you can check her out. I mean, she's she does many things. She's a you know she's a writer. She's a great thinker. She's a healer. She offers all kinds of mentoring and coaching um, uh, courses and uh, experiences. Um, a lot of stuff looking at our own well being. Um, she has a thing called the Presence Collective, which is a um, a community she's building through the podcast, which is trying to help more people through kind of peer learning to kind of connect, live more more connected, more creative, and more courageous lives. And um, yes, yeah, super interesting. Check out um, thefutureisbeautiful.co and Amisha Gadiali. And yeah. Um, can't rate Amisha highly enough so do check her out so with that I'm going to cut through to an offering from Amisha Gadiali. Hello my name is Amisha Gadiali, and I am the host of the Future is Beautiful podcast and also a leadership mentor and I am delighted to be answering these questions and having a moment to reflect on this quarantine time that we're in. Right now, I am in a tree house in the English countryside and I'm here in solitude. I was on my way to Indonesia and had got a bit delayed due to some family things that had come up and then as things were getting crazier and crazier I felt the call to be close at hand in case my family needs anything during this time and so I found this tree house uh, which is part of a beautiful retreat centre called West Lexham 
And before lockdown had begun, I asked if I could come and stay here. And so it's just me and the family um, that, that own the land and, and own the retreat centre. And it's really beautiful to be by a lake and surrounded by lots of trees and to have this experience of living in a tree house. During these times, I'm struggling with the most, on a collective level, all of the fear and how that fear is affecting people and how dangerous that level of fear is and also the economic impacts. I'm finding that really hard to digest how this pandemic has caused so much chaos in people's lives all over the world and I'm sort of struggling to get my head around what's going to happen and what what is happening to so many people that don't have the basic resources that they need at this time. Uh, for me, on a personal level, I am having very, very vivid dreams, and which is quite normal for me, but they feel more vivid and more potent and more tapped into the collective unconscious than usual. And so sometimes they are um, quite disruptive and also some patches of insomnia, which isn't very normal for me either. So I've discovered through some of my clients and um, members of Presence Collective, people in the Future is Beautiful community, that other people have also been having very vivid dreams and insomnia. And so there's a lot processing and that can be quite intense uh, because I am actually writing a book at the moment which the deadlines didn't change. So during this quarantine time, I would have been doing something similar anyway. I would have been somewhere quiet writing, but having the, the extra backdrop of what's happening and how that feels is yeah something that makes it a little bit more challenging and I don't know if you can hear that creaking but there's um, a tree that goes through this tree house and it's just creaking a little bit with the wood and the wind today and of course you might be able to hear the birds in the background what is bringing me joy in these times I get a lot of joy from solitude and actually the, the most joyful time that I had was when I had 10 days of total silence and I turned off my phone and I put blockers on most websites on my computer so I could just use it to write and was just deep in my practices of yoga and meditation and chanting and reflecting and tree whispering and walking on the earth and that was really special. I might like to do it again before this time ends. And something that's new is that I haven't really been in nature in springtime for some years now um, in the UK. So I'm really enjoying foraging 
and eating as much food as I can from the land and it's really shifting my perspective in that there is there's so much food and most of it's what we call weeds so I've been getting really into nettles for example and just realizing how much is wasted on our doorsteps that can be utilized and so that's been really fun for me to uh, get out there and enjoy foraging. What I'm hoping could emerge from these extraordinary times is, of course, a deeper relationship to beauty. Something that's been with me is this understanding of how much beauty is always hiding in plain sight. And so for me, foraging and and my encounter with nettles has been like that. I'd never eaten nettles before. I drank some nettle tea that I'd bought in a packet, but just the fact that there's this incredible superfood that is in a complete abundance that's been around us the whole time and hasn't been given its sight and and hasn't been utilized, uh, that gives me a lot of hope because when I think about how we create these really complex supply chains and then we make something like spirulina, a superfood, and this causes loads of issues on a global scale. And in the talk that we might have issues with the, the supply chain, the global supply chain around food more and more in the future, just knowing that there are plants all around us that are packed with vitamins and minerals, potassium, iron, um, and that they've always been there. And that as a metaphor, I feel like in this times where we obviously can still get very distracted because there's a lot going on online, but without the normal ways that we have to distract ourselves and the normal pace and busyness, that there's an opportunity to discover way more beauty in our own lives, in our inner world, in even just finding a book on one's own bookshelf that has something really potent to say that normally gets overlooked or, yeah, the the bits of beauty in community, in local community that are emerging. And so that's something on a more personal level that I feel like we can all be purveyors of beauty at this time and and then we can keep that going as we turn our lens onto the beauty that is constantly around us and of course I mean a complete systems change (laughs) would be wonderful from this time we know that there is so much about our global society that doesn't work and and so, yeah, I would, I would love for there to be very big changes into the way that our lives function and an empowerment for each and every living soul that we really understand, you know, who we are. The corona relates to the crown chakra, which is the energy center on the top of our heads. And it's, it's the place of connection 
with divine wisdom and that that divine can be your higher self it can be a god or something else that you equate to be bigger than you but just this notion that we have a free flow of wisdom with this part of ourselves and if we can emerge out of this cocoon with more and more of us connected to that wisdom that would be something extraordinary to emerge from these extraordinary times and in terms of what bits of getting back to normal do I hope will not return? Yeah, I mean, there's so much waste in our society around just everything, food, packaging, also our own innate potential. And I really hope that in whatever the new normal becomes, that we learn to honor and care for what we have and that we become far more, far more present to each other that this time when we've been taken into our own spaces and not been able to connect in the ways that we used to that that kind of busy rushingness of not having time for people of wearing masks of pretending to be something that we're not that having these you know false idols and false goals and desires that keep us separated I really hope that all of this separation doesn't make it back into a new normal and that actually in our new normal we come into real connection with each other and with the earth and with something bigger and with ourselves. And something to share. I would like to share a poem This is a poem that came to me a few years ago when I was doing a priestess training um, in Avalon in Glastonbury in the UK. And with all of the fear that is here and part of this whole pandemic, I think connecting to that part of us that is not afraid, and so there may always be fear, but we are not afraid, right? So we can move through the fear. I am not afraid to shine my light so brightly in the world I might get burned. I am not afraid to dance naked under the stars and proclaim my gratitude. I am not afraid to dive deep into the sea of my emotions. I am not afraid to speak my truth and ruffle some well-groomed feathers. I am not afraid to live each moment fully with everything I have to give. I am not afraid to do everything it takes to truly live. 
I am not afraid to believe in myself and believe in you. I am not afraid to support you through all that you want to do. I am not afraid to be honest and vulnerable. I am not afraid to be seen and heard yet remain humble. I am not afraid of my body or of my pain. I am not afraid to feel, to fall, to rise again. I am not afraid to stand on the mountaintop and claim my power. I am not afraid to take a moment of silence every hour. I am not afraid to hug and then sing to the trees. I am not afraid to desire all we can be. I am not afraid to bear witness to your soul. I am not afraid to be in the moment, yet still hold the whole. I am not afraid to cry and scream and release. I am not afraid of my suffering, bliss or peace. I am not afraid to be out of hiding and love with all my heart. I am not afraid of my shadow or of all of your parts. I am not afraid to hold space for you to grow. I am not afraid of the seeds of truth we all might sow. I am not afraid to dream bigger than the world can yet see. I am not afraid of my wholeness or my authenticity. I am not afraid to shine a light on your beauty. I am not afraid to be your mirror. I am not afraid to see what is really there. I am not afraid to shave off all my hair. I am not afraid to use my voice and be heard. I am not afraid of the power of my word. I am not afraid to trust my intuition. I am not afraid to listen to nature and ignore politicians. I am not afraid to be patient and loyal and kind. I am not afraid to listen to my heart and doubt my mind. I am not afraid to stand up for our planet and our people. I am not afraid to trust the never-ending flow. I am not afraid to keep growing, even if it's safety I outgrow. I am not afraid to forgive when I have been hurt. I am not afraid to get my bare feet muddy in the dirt. I am not afraid to be guided by the rhythms of the moon. I am not afraid to be judged as hysterical or a loon. I am not afraid to sweat or bleed. I am not afraid of death and I'm not afraid to grieve. I am not afraid to celebrate and honor or mark the occasion. I am not afraid to break through the veil of illusion. I am not afraid to tell you that you are special and that the world needs your gift. I am not afraid to ask you to hold me or for a kiss. I am not afraid of your fear. I am not afraid of what I hear. I am not afraid to go out of my way to make you feel seen. I am not afraid of the unconscious or the unseen. I am not afraid to believe in miracles and magic. I am not afraid to want it and then to have it. I am not afraid to be beautiful. I am not afraid to be responsible. I am not afraid to be wild and sensual. I am not afraid to be fierce grace. I am not afraid of being in your face. I am not afraid of being not enough or too much. I am not afraid of owning my deliciousness. 
I am not afraid to be abundant and blessed. I am not afraid to be a light worker, a goddess, a priestess. I am not afraid to teach, to share, to inspire. I am not afraid to root into the earth, then take us higher. I am not afraid to carry the flame of spirit. I am not afraid to be a beacon of grace and light. I am not afraid to be an elegant warrior for this fight. I am not afraid to be a rebel guide for what is yours and what is mine. I am not afraid to be a signal of a turning time. I am not afraid. I am not afraid. I am not afraid. Thank you, Dan, for asking these wonderful questions. And thank you, Amisha, for that amazing stuff. So I'm going to call it there. I'm going to play out with another track, you know, because it's becoming a thing. Um, so one thing, uh, there's been a lot of bird song going on. Uh, at least around here and uh, seemingly a lot of people have been noticing the birds more which I think is a good thing um, so a few weeks back I uh, well I actually I'd actually a few months back had bought a, a couple of tickets to go and see Sam Lee and the Nest Collective do this extraordinary um, evening um, in a wood not far from where I live uh, which was about um, singing with nightingale so the nightingale bird which comes returns to Britain about this time to, to a few parts to, to breed has this extraordinary song at night that it sings um, as it's looking for its mate um, and uh, Sam Lee the musician if you check out Sam Lee if you don't know him check him out amazing incredible man doing amazing music and um, really uh, extraordinary things sort of connecting kind of uh, helping us connect back to the land uh, through his music as well and um, so he does this thing the Nightingale sessions where um, he actually um, brings musicians together and literally jams with the Nightingales and uh, anyway so that was all we were looking forward to going to that and that was cancelled obviously because of the pandemic but Sam decided with the Nest Collective to try and make this happen virtually and they did this extraordinary um, evening uh, session I think he was down in some woods in Sussex somewhere um, recording nightingales and then he'd had a um, curated a whole bunch of different um, artists musicians poets and all sorts and it was hard to figure out exactly how they did it but it was um, it seemed to be uh, Sam was uh, recording live um, a pair of nightingales that were singing and um, a bunch, I don't know if this was uh, uh, live streams that were being um, recorded in, but basically curating like act and artist after another who were seemingly jamming with the nightingales and uh, it was brilliant and you, if you go to the Nest Collective, get on the YouTube channel, you, I think that was all recorded so you can listen, it's a, just a brilliant thing to listen to, uh, particularly at night if you're um, at home, just like um, turn the lights off, put the candles on and listen to this extraordinary uh, feast of, uh, of uh, the nightingale meeting, all kinds of um, 
brilliant kind of uh, audio creativity. Um, and anyway, and uh, one artist who performed was Cosmo Sheldrake, and um, he has uh, since put out um, two songs called "The Nightingale Wake Up Calls," and uh, this is uh, this is part one, which I thought I'd I'd leave you with. So uh, yeah, Cosmo Sheldrake, "Nightingale Wake Up Calls." Uh, until next time, folks, take care out there. Um, be kind to yourselves. Peace and out. Thank you.